Oh, here you go, sir. Same old, same old. Get a hold of the phone. Oh, we can't teach you anything here, and we can't tell you. What we do is point to the room and ask you to look where we're pointing to and see for yourself. So no matter what you believe or what you've been told, nobody can teach you anything and nobody can tell you anything. There's nothing new we point to. You'll see it's the base of all the ancient traditions. What they call in Hinduism, Advaita. Advaita translated means non-duality. And they try to describe non-duality as saying it's one without a second, not two. Because even the idea of one implies there could be other than one. So that's what we're going to, but there is only one absolute essence, or I use the term intelligence energy, but that's not it either, just a label. <coughs> so that's why we can't teach you anything and can't tell you anything. Because if that is all there is, you must be already there. And isn't that the heart of Eki, the great mantra, I am that, this is that, everything is that. <coughs> Innately you know that in your language. Because you see, that's a chair, that's the carpet, that's the tree, that's the flower, that's the house, that's the sky. Everything is that which we put labels or words on that seeming discriminated or differentiated. And we've taken the labels to be the thing. That's why we've got this idea, we are this person. But are you the person? Where does that word person come from? Doesn't it come from persona, the mask? Pointing out we've got this conceptual image made up of past events, experiences and conditioning and we are relating to that personal, seeming personal entity. We'll go into that and see how that comes about. Another way of expressing it is I'm not talking to anybody. I'm not talking to any mind. I'm talking to that I am, that I am. And that sense of presence that expresses through the mind as the thought I am, just of this, nothing else. And it's the same sense of presence that's expressing through you. And me, and everything else. So you must be already that. So you realise that or recognise that, you'll see the search itself becomes a problem if you're still seeking because the seeking when the idea of seeking you think you're going to become something <coughs> but have a look at that word become can you become anything at all what are you in essence aren't you being right now and can you negate that beingness and that's another way of expressing that, what they call in Advaita, the Satchitananda, Nama Rupa, they're the five factors. Sat is existence, Chit is consciousness, Ananda is loving to be, or they call it bliss, but I don't like to use that term because people get confused with that. They think it's something you've got to find. But it's just the love of being. Everybody loves to be. So is anyone who's not existing right now? No, you say I'm existing. Anyone who's not conscious right now? You're not unconscious, so you must be conscious. Anyone who's not happy to be. None of you will be dead for quiz right now. So you will read that Satchitananda. And the Nama Rupa, as they say, 
our name and form. And the name and form are Maya. They're illusion. Now this cut the body mind must cut the body and the mind. Though it's seemingly real, it's Maya, it's illusion. And it's the phenomenal manifestation. And your dictionary definition of phenomena is that which appears to be. So we're all appearing as these separate entities, these individuals, these persons, these labels, whatever. <coughs> so that's what we ask you to look along those lines. And see if it is so. We all believe we are this person, this body of mind, but are you the body? Innately, you know you're not the body. Because don't you say my body? And don't you also say my coat? my car, my house, and you know damn well you're not the house or the coat or the car, maybe you're not the body either. Say the same thing with my mind. If you think you are the mind, show me a thing called mind. Can anyone stand up and say this is mind? And really there's no such thing as mind apart from a mental concept you might have about it. So if you're not, not the body or you're the mind, look what you mean, you must be that Satyananda. Investigate that body and see if that body is real. What's the body made up of? When you investigate it, you read the body's made up of the elements. Air, earth, water, fire and space. That's all the body's made up of. Now separate yourself from those elements if you think it's separate. Stop breathing. Stop taking in the air. Standing along the glass without that breathing. Take the water into your body. What is 80% water? See how long it lasts without the elements. Take the body temperature of a fire. You soon get hypothermia and die cold in the body temperature. Get off the earth. Get out of space. When you come to investigate it, though you believe that we're separate, you'll see you're not separate at all. And this body, nothing but the elements, and those elements can be broken down to subatomic particles into pure energy. So this body is just a vibrating pattern of energy, the same as the rest of the manifestation. They call it again in Hinduism, Shiva Shakti. Shiva, the static aspect, Shakti vibrates and the world appears. The dance of Shiva. So that's expressing it beautifully. But you're not the body, we'll have a look at his mind. Again, you say my mind. Just the same as my house, my car, you know, you're not the house car. But, but this one you call myself. When you think but don't the scriptures tell you there's only one self? Not a personal self. There never was not being a personal self, there never will be and never can be a personal self. But when you put in that conceptual image, myself, you're relating to a seemingly conceptual image you have of that which you think the self is. But it is the one self appearing, patterning, shaping, forming and expressing. And it's self-aware. Self-shining, presence awareness, as they say in Buddhism. Self-knowing, self-hearing, self-seeing. It's the one self that's doing all of those things. And there's no personal self whatsoever, because the personal self is the, is the reference point. The, what's that one? Self-centre or the ego. We're taking that self. 
has put up, built this repertoire of sacrifices, which have become the subject of the self-centered of reference point and the ego. And I tell you, in the scripture, you've got to be rid of this ego. You've got to kill it, stamp on it, come and put it under the carpet, get rid of it somewhere. Right? That doesn't happen because it's a bit of ego trying to kill the ego, and it won't happen. It never will happen. It needs to be investigated and see what was pointed out, that the ego is a total fiction. It never existed in the first place. How did it all come about? We'll go back and ask you, when did you begin? Because I was born. But can any one of you actually remember your birth? You can't remember your birth. And you didn't know anything about the beginning until you reached the age of about two, two and a half, when the capacity of reasoning developed in these human beings. And that's the capacity of these human forms have, which other birds, animals and insects don't have the same capacity as we do of reasoning. But they have other capacities that are more developed than what the capacity of reasoning. The bird, for instance, has better eyesight than you That can fly. We can't do that. But through the capacity of reasoning, what have we done? We've learned to build ourselves eye glasses, binoculars, telescopes, which enable us to see better. And planes, helicopters and balloons enable us to fly. So the capacity of reasoning is very useful. But being a vibration, it's self-destructive <coughs> as well. It always vibrates in the interrelated opposites. Watch your thoughts and see. And you realise your thought is vibrating always dualistically. It's either past or future, pleasant, present, past, present, painful, happy, sad, loving, hating, positive, negative. Watch your mind and see if it functions any other way. And the boundaries and limitations we put upon them are the Word. Doesn't it tell you in the Bible, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with a God, the Word was God. That's all that God is, a Word. And see how many different words that labels they put on God. Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, 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 this, that, the other one. We used to think, a chant of the mantra, a thousand names of, of, of what is it? Shiva. Shiva, yeah. And it's had a thousand names, a thousand names, but it's just a word. We put in descriptions and ideas and concepts from what we've been told and what we've come to believe and take it to be real. But look at that word belief. Look up your dictionary and look up the definition of belief. It's an unquestioned acceptance of something in the absence of reason. It means to say we haven't reasoned that, we've taken it for granted what our parents, school, society and nation have told us. Acceptance of an alleged fact without positive knowledge or proof. When you put your belief to that test, they'll fall apart because the false cannot stand up to investigation. And when you start to recognise and see something as false, can you ever truly believe it again? You can't. So these things will drop away when they're looked into. You say you began at birth, but you can't remember your birth. Well, we'll go back and have a look and see when you did begin. We'll go back as far as your father and your mother, that animating life essence, that pattern shaped and formed your father, through the prana, the air, and the food, and the, the, the essence of food eaten, enabled in that pattern, a little microscopic particle you can't see with your naked eye called a sperm form. You can't see it with your naked eye. That little microscopic particle was suffused with an innate intelligence that knew what to do. The same in your mother. The same function in your mother. She and 
expectations of the food, and I only met a couple of millimeters for a pound of cold an egg or an oven to fall. Now, that oven was the fusion of intelligence it knew what to do. It attached itself to all the uterus. It wasn't flattened around accidentally. And the sperm knew what to do. They swam to the oven. Well, they get the blob of goo. It knew what to do. Put it under a microscope and you'd see it has the capacity of swimming. <coughs> and it knew where to swim to and what to do. It penetrated the oven. And when those two came together, what happened? The innate intelligence, energy, or the godliness, if you like to call it, or whatever you like to enable in that pattern for that cell to double and redouble and take on through the, the uh, genes and all the rest of it began to form the little fetus and the little embryo. What were you doing about it then as the person? You realise you couldn't do a damn thing because the brain hadn't even formed. You had no words. And so it happened for nine months and you didn't have any nine months with it. The next couple of years after you were born, till the capacity of reasoning started and you learnt words. And realise from that that every word you have ever spoken or ever likely to speak has been learnt. With no words you were born with. Acquire any words. So you didn't know anything about anything until the words came around. About two, two and a half. And then your parents fussing around you because you've been a little Billy, you're a little Johnny, you're a good boy, and all that. And you started to reason a little bit, and you learned words I like I and me, and you realise, well, I, I am me, that fits that little Johnny. So I am little Johnny. And you look out there and you say, that doesn't fit little Johnny. So that's not me. Well, that's not I. And that's when the separation comes upon us. You see something that's not I or not me, we feel separate from it. And with that sense of separation comes insecurity and vulnerability. Because you think you're separate and you're fearful of that because you don't know what it is. We haven't been told what these things are about or we haven't learned. So insecurity and vulnerability, that's when the search starts. Then on we're seeking to become whole and complete because, because we take on the idea of separation. And our parents and schools and society, whoever looked into this or understood it, want to reinforce that. They tell you you've got to acquire, amass, add to, accumulate, whatever you can to make yourself whole and complete. And we go around doing that. But have you ever seen the millionaires that have got enough? No matter how much we acquire and amass. It's not a matter of acquiring anything, it's going back and recognising what you already are and always have been. You are what I call intelligence energy. We don't use the term God because we all come from different traditions. Some of you might be atheists, some of you are agnostics, some of you are Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists. Start talking about God. You'll immediately relate to what your traditional belief is and go along with it concepts you've got to build around that and all the structures and the boundaries they put you in and not recognise and never recognise what you actually are. I use the word intelligence energy and that's not it. That's just a label also. You realise everything's got a label on it and the label's not the thing. Like the signpost is a pointer. You're not a Burke Road or Mile <coughs> Road if you look at the pointer a mile down the road. But if you follow the point, he might get there. So you understand the map's not the territory. The pointer is not the actual. And the description is not the described. They're all pointers. 
Not even that word intelligence energy. Intelligence is not that what put into intellectual talk about intelligence. Intelligence is knowing. Anybody who's unknowing? Nobody can say I'm knowing. That is intelligence. And it's the knowing, the I in human, is an activity. And what is an activity? A movement. A movement of energy. So that's where we get intelligence and energy, the activity of knowing. And isn't that happening in nature that we want to know? So again, pointing out that you are already that. Always have been and always will be. So we learn words. Every word you've ever spoken or ever likely to speak has been picked up along the way, been learned. And you can be acquiring new words today. Because there's thousands of words in the dictionary you haven't learned yet. Get the meaning of them all right. I'm forgetting them more by the word now. Words like the mind gun. But understand this. The word is not the thing. It's not the real. It never was, never will be, and never could be. Take the word water. Can you drink the word? Can you wash in it? Can you swim in it? Well, you drown it, you won't. The word fire, does it burn your mouth when you speak it? Can you cook with it? Can you eat yourself with it? You can't. What's this word I or me? Maybe it's the same, it's just a conceptual image you've got about what we've taken to be real. And that's the fact, because we start learning words and parents tell you, you little Johnny, and it's the I am little Johnny. But you can't do much with the I or me because it's that uh, so insecurity and vulnerability. But what we do to it, we add onto it events, experiences, and conditions. Things have happened to us that passed around long time. I am Bob, I'm a good fella, or I'm unhappy, I've had a very bad childhood, or I'm traumatic, <coughs> or introverted, or whatever. Don't like things, I'm fearful. All these conceptual things, concepts are out of order that I had to give it some substance and some sense of So we've got this conceptual image now, which the energy of belief goes into and makes it seemingly real. A conceptual image. And it's a dead image at that, because it's based on past events, conditioning, experience. Well, based on what is right now. What is your image of yourself right now? You haven't got a label on so-and-so, I'm this, that, and the other. So that dead image cannot keep up with life. Life is ever fresh and free. It's constantly ever moving. It's transient. This manifestation is, is it's illusion and it's transient. And look at that body you're sitting in right now. You haven't got the same body you walked into this room with. You mightn't see it's transient, but it is. You haven't. There are thousands of cells dying right in this moment and being replaced. Looking at this moment, you don't think it's changing. Look back on a few years ago. Have you got the same body that you've got now? You certainly haven't. But that sense of presence, of knowing that you are, was there. The life essence was there. It was there. But the concept you have about yourself has changed, and the body's changed, and everything around you is changing. You go down Whitehorse Road here, and you see that's changing every day. They're pulling the old building down putting new ones up, building fences, putting holes in it, fixing holes in the roads, cutting out trees. It's constantly changing something every day. Everything is transient, transient in this manifestation. And that's what the Buddhists will tell you. There's nothing static in this manifestation. There's nothing static anywhere. And there's no self-nature to anything. Not a personal self to anything. It's a one self expressing, vibrating and appearing as everything. 
And you are that self. It is the only self there is. And, it, and you know that again because you are self-aware, self-knowing right now, not knowing the personal self. And the Buddha put it out in another way also. He calls it the cognizing emptiness. Not that we think we hear that, oh, I am cognizing emptiness. We're really not the cognizing. It's the emptiness of self. It's a fuse with intelligence that's cognizing. Just the same as it's rolling the earth around the sun. Causing the seasons to come and go, the tides come out. It's breathing out, beating your heart, growing your hair on your fingernails, digesting your food. People call that God. Good idea that too. It's the same, but God is separate from themselves. God is right at the line. But look at that. You can't negate your being right now, but you call yourself a human being. And if you believe in this thing called God, you'll call God the Supreme Being. What if you could take that label Supreme off? Take the label human off and try and separate the beingness in this room. Can you? Because you realise that's being a chair you're sitting on, it's being the card, it's being the bloke next to you or the person next to you, it's being me, it's being you, it's being the mirror, it's being the tree outside. Everything is that pure being which we've got labels on. The word. And the word's not the real. So if we label them all these taking them manifestation of the real, that's fine. They put different labels, different pattern shapes and forms on. So when he said emptiness is form, but all this manifestation, forms, pattern shapes and forms, are that emptiness. And he turned it around the other way and told you that. Emptiness is form and the form can be nothing other than the emptiness. So with that emptiness, of seemingly changing and appearing to change, that patterning shape and form on this manifestation, constantly transient, breaking it down. So that's what the cognizing emptiness and that is what is going on right now. If you're not putting any labels on anything, you are that cognizing emptiness. And the emptiness is full of the seeming pattern shapes and forms, which we call things. You and I and everything in this manifestation are things. And the basic space and space screen in which they appear on is the space-like awareness or emptiness, the silence, the stillness. That's the screen in which everything appears on. And all these manifestations, these things appearing on, they are things appearing in. But the space is empty. There's no thing. Can something come from no thing? It can't. So all this manifestation, now it's appearing silent substantially as things, is really no thing. If we're taken to be real. When you come back to that one thing, that what we call pure intelligence entity, or the activity of knowing, whatever love does put it, that is all there is. And as I said, there's nobody who's not existing right now, there's nobody who's not conscious or unaware. If you're not unaware right now, what must you be? You must be aware. You don't have to look for awareness. It is there. Without looking for it, people search for this thing called awareness. No wonder they never find it. All this time we take it on, we've got to become something. Becoming is not being. Becoming implies a future time. And when you investigate time, you see time is a fiction already. There's no such thing as time. And if you see looking at that, investigate and ask yourself, is there a past right now if I don't think about it? 
I pose the thought right now, can you say there's a past or a future without a thought? You realise you can't. Then you'll try and tell me I lived in the past. I'll say, well, go back and live yesterday. Go back and live last week or last year. You realise you can't go back and live in the past, but you can recall some past events. And when you recall them, you can bring them right into this presence, because that's all there is. And if you're not recalling them, they disappear. Because nobody can tell me what you thought a minute ago now, unless you recall them. Try it, it's there. And if you can't recall them, it's gone forever. The same in the future, you can anticipate and imagine what you're going to do next week or next year, or when the sleeping closes or afterwards. But you can't live on that in the future. But everything is taking place in this presence. It's all this presence awareness. You might be using past events or future so-called future ideas or concepts to try and work out in the mind, but you'll never work anything out in the mind. So people do all these disciplines and like that, trying to find the answer in the mind. But we tell you here and now that the answer is not in the mind. It never was and never will be. People have meditated for years done this mantra, done this discipline and all the rest of it, looking for the answer. Why haven't you found it? After all this time, might I just dawn on you? Or maybe I've been looking in the wrong direction. And if you ask yourself that, what direction can I look at which is not in the mind? Because you'll remember every direction I look at will be in the mind. And they tell me the mind's not in the mind, the answer's not in the mind. Because that's what they call you, you know, the answer is not in the mind. Uh, but I call it, um, I can't think of it, I can't it You never find the answer? What way is there out of the mind? If every direction you look is always in the only way, way out of the mind is full stop. Don't go there. And again, if you ask yourself, what is wrong with right now if I don't think about it? You've got to try and look through that thought or past it into what is right now. Well, the thought pauses for a moment, and where's your mind then in that pausation? It's not there. But you haven't stopped breathing, your heart hasn't stopped beating, your hair and fingernails haven't stopped growing, your food hasn't been digested. The living is going on without the thought, and we think that this thought was controlling and living. It's not controlling and living. And you ask yourself, what's the next thought is going to be? thinking, there is seeing, there is hearing, there is tasting, touching, smelling. The functioning is going on. The eye engine of going on in each one gives us an actuality in you're seeing right now, you're hearing right now, you're tasting, you're touching right now. As soon as you say I see, you're related to the subject, the fictional subject, the me. I see this, I see that. And I see the chair, I see the carpet. And that's the, what you see becomes the scene, the object. So seeing, which is the actuality, has been divided into subject-object, dualism. Same with the hearing, same with the thinking, the tasting, touching, something. Subject-object, thinking, subject-object. But can there be a seer without seeing? There can't be. Can there be a thinker without thinking? There can't be. Can be tasted without tasting. 
So that subject's a thinking. It can't be there unless you divide it into subject-object. You are looking, conceptually, because it's not the actual. And that's how we get uh, locked into all these concepts of division. Because egoic ego seems to be running the show. Seeing right now, and everybody is hearing right now, isn't that a fact? Of course, it's a fact. Well, ask yourself this Does my eye tell me I see? My eye is not saying to me, Look at this bum, look at that. But the seeing is happening through the eye. But the eye is not telling what I see. And it's translated by the thought I see. And that thought is a concept image you've got about yourself. As soon as you say, I see, you relate to that conceptual image because you understand it's a pure seeing and it's no longer a pure seeing because you've related to this conceptual image you've got. So the seeing is happening and the hearing is happening. My ear is not saying to me, listen to this Bible, listen to that. It can't say anything at all, but it is the instrument which the hearing is happening. And it's translated by the thought I hear. Again, it's no longer a pure hearing. Me, the conceptual me, the conceptual theory. Seeing and hearing, hearing are happening. You've got to ask yourself this. The thought's happening. The seeing is happening through the eyes, translated by the thought I see. But can that thought I see, can that see? Close your eyes and see, look around the room, see what's seeing with the thought that your eyes close. And you recognise the thought I see cannot see. Put your hands over your ears and see what you can see with the thought I hear. You realise the thought I hear can't hear. The thought I am aware of, is that your awareness? When you don't have to become aware, your awareness is already there. When you recognise you're not unaware, you never were unaware. So the thought I am aware is not your awareness. And the big one is the thought I choose. We think we choose our thoughts. Why the hell would you ever have unhappy or miserable or angry or fearful thought? Do you choose to be that way? I don't. But it happens. So you see this thought up entity cannot do anything. It can't see, it can't hear, can't taste, can't smell. No, it can't do anything at all. It has no substance or no independent nature. Because it falls apart under the investigation. See that for certain. Life is flowing through that pattern we call the body mind right now. Take the life essence out of the body. How many corpses can a how many thoughts can a corpse have? What eyes what can I see through the corpse? But the corpse has got heart, lungs, eyes, ears, kidneys, all the organs are there, but without the life essence they're dead. They start to break down and walk fall away. But they're not a bit of good to you without that life essence, just like a computer. Look at all the information you've got on a computer. But you can punch those keys and run that mouse for out as much as you like. If the power's not turned on, what are you going to get out of it? Not one thing. So you see, 
when you turn that life, take that life, it's not that person. It's not the life essence that's doing it. It's not, not the person, not the belief in it that's doing it. It's that life essence. The same life essence that's rolling the earth around the sun, causing planets to form, and implode and explode, tides to come in and out, seasons to come and go. That's breathing out, it's moving hard, it's growing air and everything. It's the one essence appearing, patterning, forming, shaping, and expressing as everything. And you are that. You can never be anything other and always have been. There you might recognise the futility of the seeker trying to become something or be something. Be looking in the wrong direction. And when you recognise you can't find the answer to the mind, you might realise, well, maybe I'll be looking in the wrong direction. And then you will start to realise what direction can I look, which is not in the mind. Full stop. Don't go there. And see what insights and things will come up spontaneously. And how many you've had tastes of it throughout your life. And you try to work things out that never happen. And all of a sudden, somehow or other, what to do has come up spontaneously, naturally, and naturally. Einstein was saying, I went and had this problem, I went to sleep on it for days and weeks, could never work it out. One night I went to sleep and woke it up, the next morning it was there. And other people will tell you that too. And we've all had tastes of it throughout our life. But we've ignored them and gone back to the believing we are this person and we're going to acquire or get something, become liberated or freed or whatever. But liberation is a fiction. It was ne you were never bound in the first place. But recognise that and see through it. Recognising in the thought, feeling and emotion. Draw expressions and a pattern expression through this body-mind entity. But it's all one and the same thing. Thought, feeling, emotion, and one of the same thing. You can't burst into tears like that. There might be a thought come up, but it's some past event, which is a sad thought. And you start looking into it, and a sad feeling will come up. That sad feeling will go on and get emotionally overwhelmed, and the tears will come. It works the same as it works in nature steam, water, and ice. Steam is very, very subtle. I can't see it. Condense it a little bit, and it comes water. Then it will solidify become ice. There's still the one essence, thought, feeling, emotion, steam, water, and ice, and scripture all expressed the same way, the same intelligence in it, that function. So these things need to be looked at and recognised for yourself. Nobody's going to tap you on the head, which I believe for a long time, that they got better and give it to you. Those things happen. These, and all sorts of things can happen in the appearance. Everything is quite valid in the appearance. But it's not the appearance, it's not the reality, it never was and never could be. Recognise the reality of it. And it's quite simple and quite easy because there's nothing separate of it And the biggest way to it starts from the fact whether you see it or not at this moment that you are already that. And if you recognise you're already that, what are you going to acquire? Nothing. All you've got to do is get rid of the stuff that's causing problems with you. Get rid of it, let it free, let it go. People say, yeah, you can't let go. And you can't. You can't let go. But what do you do? Don't pick it up. Just don't go there. Don't, don't bother with it. You're not picking up. You haven't got anything to let go of. All happens naturally and absolutely by itself. Which it did with me after I recognised something that I've been searching for for years and years and years. And all that discipline dropped off me. And I walked out of that room and said, I'll never be caught in the mind again, but I was. 
that wasn't the same. Because you know, once you see something is false, you can never truly believe it again. But hang on a minute, I thought it was false. Go back and have a look. Go back and investigate it again, have another look, and you see it again and again. And each time you saw it, there'd be more clarity. Because there's more space, more, less, more emptiness there then. So naturally the clarity is there. For the innate intelligence to function and express through, it'd be what you're going to do. Like the analogy of the sun on the clouds. You go outside on a cloudy day. We just say the sun wasn't in the sky. Well, we've investigated and you know and I know that the sun doesn't leave the sky. It's always there. But the clouds seem to obscure it. Then we'll investigate it and you ask yourself, what forms the cloud? And you realise the sun itself forms the cloud. Now the sun doesn't know anything of the cloud again. The vastness of the sun is so great, it can't even, not even that it thinks of it, but it doesn't know anything about the cloud at all. All the sun does is shine. In that radiance, what does it do? It evaporates water. And the water rises and condenses. It forms a cloud which obscures the sun. Now the sun continues to shine, that might cool down, cause a winter blow which will cool down and condense the cloud and blow it away and it will come down as rain. And the rain will come down onto the earth and there might be a seed in the earth waiting for that rain to come. And that seed will sprout and life will come from life. That's what's happening. Life comes from life continually. There's no room for death in it. Out of life, all life occurs. So we investigate it and see that the needs function. That's what we ask you to do and look along those lines and see for yourself. And if you've got any questions or doubts, bring them up. Or if you've looked at this stuff for a while, you've got probably see it, might see it in a different light. We'll point it out. Point it out. So it might be something that might somebody might resonate with and hear it. And that was that. That's what happens. Innately, we all know it. We've all known it always. And something resonates a recognition or a resonation. There's a cognizing emptiness, lose sight of it, that needs to be recognized. And that's recognized. Recognition. Cognizing the emptiness. Seeing it as it is. So that's the end of it. about conditioning, we all think we've got this conditioning and that conditioning. What's wrong with right now? Where does the condition go? What can you say about it? Can you give yourself any pattern shape or form? Or what? Without bringing the past into it, there's no conditioning there. Paul, you said something about death, yeah. I thought. I didn't quite hear it. Hmm? I didn't quite hear what you said. You said there's only life. Yeah. No only death. Life. No. It's a concept. Yeah. You don't remember your birth, do you? 
Did you think you can remember your last breath? I, I don't think I have one. We eat the animal, or the fruit, or the grass, or that's life. And out of that, more life continually comes. So, sorry, Bob. So, whatever we see is nothing? What is it? What is it what we see? Is it just is nothing? We see the appearance. Appearance. Of, appearance of? Everything. All the manifestation is appearance only. Yeah, appearance of what? Just patterns, shapes, and forms, vibrating patterns of energy, mm. vibrating into seeming something solid, like take water and ice. It's and it's as what liquid nature is. It's water. Treat it becomes ice, solid. And the seeming example before it was water or steam, before it was steam, it was gas. Seemingly solid when it becomes ice. It's the same with thought, feeling, and emotion. That thought's very subtle. Then the feeling will come up, and then the emotion will come up, and then the labels we put on come again. Making it seem like real. And we call it fire. is an illusion. Yeah. A manifestation is Maya, an illusion. And a definition of Maya or illusion is a phenomenal manifestation. And definition of phenomena is that which appears to be. It's only seeming to be real. It's real in its essence. The essence of it is real, that spirit that you are is a reality. But the essence, the pattern, shape and form you are, is the appearance. That's not real. Quite easy way to look at it is when you think of the sound, you know this is a vibration. When you think of light, you know it is a vibration. The thought is a, is a vibration also. And the matter, if you think of very, very fast movement of the subatomic particles that become solid because of the speed of the movement and the energy trapped into this uh, connection, that's also vibration. So everything is just different frequency of vibration. So it it shows up as, as sound, as light, as solid substance, as thought, as feeling. So that's kind of makes it easy. I find the dream analogy is quite powerful in shedding light on this. Mm. Yes. Because within a dream it seems real. Yeah. I have very real dreams. Mm. I, can, I have colours and tastes and everything. And within the construct of the dream, you would, it, it's so powerful that you can, the emotions can be brought in. Yeah. And, and maybe this is a dream as well. Yeah. Maybe this is just another dream. Yeah, this is a working dream. Seeming has a continuum. Seems to continue every morning where it left off the night before. The dream, when you wake up, it's finished. It soon disappears. But even the feeling of continuity is illusory because yeah. how do we know that that isn't just a feeling? that accompanies this present reality mm. and that it's only there when you look for it. Yeah. Right. I, I had that feeling with my children that when they're not with me, 
how do I even know they exist? And, and it may be they're just some, there's some feeling that there is a backstory that the mind creates to satisfy it that things need a meaning. But Actually, when they're not in your presence, mm. they don't exist. That came through conditioning, according to psychology, that uh, idea in a baby's eyes that the mother didn't disappear but went to some theoretical space that is out of the gaze came only about eight months of, of, of age. Mm. Before that it was completely unconceivable mm. and later on it was just reinforced by the mind training. So really we don't know. And then to sometimes people raise the argument, yes, but how could that be a dream, you know? It took hundred years for trees to grow and a hundred thousands of years for the pyramids and the buildings. But all those years, all the past is constructed right now. Mm. Like in the dream, when you're dreaming trees, they didn't need hundred years. They just show up like this with all the past that is assumed in the presence, in their existence. But the story of the past is itself an illusion totally. that accompanies the present reality. Totally. It satisfies the mind that there's been a process. Yes. And but in fact, it's condition. just a snapshot right now mm. with an accompanying feeling that has some sense of reality to yeah. satisfy us that things need to have a progression mm. in order to be real. But if yeah. you just accept that this is real even without the backstory, mm -hmm. then you can drop the story. Yeah. And then... Is that also, how can we be sure that whatever is, has been discussed is sure? Because <laughs> you'll know for certain in your own investigation. Yeah. yeah. And the firm conviction will arise and nobody can throw you off that perch. But to come along in and people discuss it and bring up all sorts of things and because you're so closely aligned to the you'll go back into it and then you'll say, oh, I lost how could you lost something? It's is not real. <coughs> yeah, that's a very good uh, question because people often when I speak to people, they say that, you know, I could actually allow myself to believe it because I wouldn't have to be guilty for anything because I wouldn't be a doer, but it feels irresponsible. I say, this is not what non-duality is about. It is not about changing one belief to another. It is not that you believe you are the doer, you're responsible, so now you get different belief. It's really about throwing away all the beliefs, all the concepts and verifying what's true for yourself yeah. when there is no thinking and then you know that is there is a knowing beyond belief so knowing that one is it through only meditation no <laughs> how do we get to know what these things to experience oneself what we said yeah. to know that this is sure no can you negate your beingness from it now can you say i am not you can shout as long as, as you like, and to be able to shout it, you must realise that I still am. Yeah. You can't negate your beingness, you can't negate your existence. Consciousness, and loving the mind, is that you demand it? The Nama Rupa, you can negate, name and form. You can't negate it, set you demand it. How about love, then? They say that love is the ultimate reality. Life is love. Life. Love is life. Life is love. Your life is just a different name. That's not the conceptual love. I love her, I love her, I love her, but the bitch did this to me and I hate her. <laughs> it's 
the love of being, the bliss of being. That's what the bliss is. Bliss of being. being, knowing, loving to be is another way of putting such in there. You're being right now, you're knowing right now, and you're loving to be right now. And the only way they put it, which is very useful too, is not have an affectionate awareness of being. Be a little bit warm towards yourself for a change. Put that warmth or love into yourself. Affectionate, and that will grow too. So why do we feel love or affection only with some people? Why can't we feel the same with everyone? Well, that's a, what's, what's making you feel that way? Uh, you don't, you don't feel like it. Like another you're kind either, of no, feeling. So you're either attracted to something, you rebel. You know. If you're drawn to somebody, you're not. And you recognize in such somebody the innate intelligence energy in them. Well, all depends how much energy in them. Just the, the looks of the things for granted without recognizing what you're drawing yourself to. That's why some people get into like some horrible relationships. Same mm. as food, you don't love every single food. You are attracted to some tastes and repulse from the other. Yeah, I can come to that, but you know, when you talk about uh, the love with your parents, mm. with your kids, and with your partner. It's, it's, it's different, right? Mm. I, I feel the difference there, right? Mm. I, I have this question. If this love is like, you know, where you can feel that with your kid or with your parents or with your siblings, why can't you get the same feeling with everybody? Is it because we spend the time with them? That's why we get, affect, uh, get that affection? Or is it like, uh, why can't we... Why can't we feel that just just like that? Well, you can love them and let them go. <laughs> don't have to draw very into the trap. See, when you walk in this room, you form a concept about everybody in this room. We all do. And you form. Everybody in this room will form a concept about you. And you form this concept about yourself. Which concept would be right? A concept being a mental construct, which concept would be right? No, that's right, no concept would be right. So if there's no concept right, who can be superior to you without a concept? Who can be inferior to you without a concept? And what would you want of the other person if you didn't have a concept? So there's just that wonders then, which if you're not and dividing yourself from the other is that natural warmth or affection towards all beings. Mm. Even though I'm going to put pestos in the bag and with rocks and take it down the river, I can't, <laughs> help, I can't help but love the book by thought. <laughs> well, I had an insight a couple of years ago that love, the love that we talk about when we talk about the love that is inherent as a principle is not the love that we feel towards an individual. That in fact, this is a human concept that we construct using language, but in fact, the feeling that we call love is really a point or a state where we drop resistance. And maybe this answers your question. 
that in the moment where you're with someone that you feel a bond with, resistance falls away and the universal principle presents itself. And we call that love, but the reason that it feels different with your family is because you can allow that to happen. You give yourself permission with that person, those people. But, but it's the same... It's very hard to well, say. They sort of divide love into three different things. So, you know, the Greeks did, and, you know, there's um, philia, which is, I don't know, brotherly or something. Or, and there's the erotic, you know, when you uh, have a relationship, it becomes part of you type thing. And then there's the agape, which is more this love that Jesus is supposed to have, you know, that doesn't matter who you are or what you are. But say with a, uh, a baby, you know, parents fall in love with their children and they're not even persons. And through that love, they do turn into a person. I don't know. Yes. So do animals. Animals look after their children yeah. and animals <coughs> risk their life to yes. protect their children. We only assume, assume that we have love or feelings and they don't. Yeah. That's why we take away little calves yeah. and kill them and, yeah. and keep the cows raped every year and to, to milk them. But really, chemically and watching the brain activity, there's absolutely no difference between the affection and attachment that yeah. human experience towards the child yeah. as the animal does. Thank you. Oh, that's how it works. You know, something comes up and we like it. How do you know? Well, we've experienced this before in our life and we don't want the things we like to go away. Not realizing they're transient, no matter how much you love them, how much we're going to move on. So what do we do? We try to keep it there, so we resist it. Hmm. And any resistance you are in is conflict. And conflict makes you unhappy, depressed, guilty. Then it becomes uneasiness, it becomes disease. So there's resistance, conflict, and disease. Something comes up that I don't like, I don't want this, so I immediately jump on it. Resistance again, hmm. conflict, and disease. So we constantly. What I felt with this insight was that love is what we, what we experience as love is. You could say creation's way of revealing that we are in that moment at one with it, mm -hmm. and and that it's a human. It's our. It's the way it translates through our nervous system, through our psyche. We 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 have it as a feeling, but it's not that feeling. It's it's something beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a it's. It's a, um, you could say a vibrational state, maybe, that is... What, what they usually label as a heartfelt. Heartfelt. Yeah. And, uh, they take the heart to be your physical heart, but the heart as the core of your being, mm. being or the centre of the spirit. Then such chip and inner being, knowing them to be, are not separate things. Mm. So that's all. It is existing consciousness and loving to be. It's the one mm. thing. Because it's not yours, we seemingly divide them. It's also an absence of self. 
because if you're really in love, mm. not only your resistance or your defenses drop, but all your attention is just fully for that object of love. And for me, this also includes beauty, like something mm -hmm. that is a great beauty. There's no no separation from it. Mm. And there's no defense and there's no mm. resistance and there's no self, really. Mm. This is surrender. We call yes. it surrender. Mm. In that moment of surrender, the resistance falls away. Well, the natural state is fully evident. Then. Yeah, and yes, that's... it's a natural state, yeah. And the the um, reconditioning mm. of being is simply, to, I guess, trust enough in the totality of presence that everything will be okay. It's being open, completely open. And and in fact, the conditioning and this is the power of Maya is so strong because from birth we're conditioned that we are a finite thing that must protect itself from the world, forge bonds and relationships to create a buffer between us and what, mm. what dangers could happen. And all that is just mythology. Mm. But, but it's the power of Maya. I teach some students and, I, and they continually say, but this dream fiction is so powerful. <laughs> There's only one power. That's the trouble. We can say power. Oh, this one's a powerful one. There's only one power. It's omnipotence, total power. Not mind power, thought power, mm. higher power, God power. Omnipotence, total power. Total presence, total intelligence. So. It is brilliant. It's so well done. It's just, it's actually that how well done that dream and how believable and how mm. convincing it is. Mm. It actually is a <coughs> statement of a genius of the creation, of mm. the creative power of it. How does Even, it know? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry to say this, another thing, but I had a dream where I was, I was in a library. It was one of these hyper-realistic dreams, and I pulled a book from the shelf. It was a physics book. Mm. And I, as I was turning each page, the words appeared, and there were formulae and diagrams and things that looked as if they would look in an actual book. And each time I turned the page, it would, it would, there would be something there. Mm. But I intuited that there was actually nothing in the rest of the book that it was blank and it was only appearing when I gave it my awareness uh -huh. and I was marvelling in my dream so it was semi-conscious mm. how could it be no it was could this be what life is yeah. and that was what brought me to the experience of my children as being just a backstory that I create wherever I direct my attention it appears together with the feeling that it was always there or that there was a story that gave rise to it but but at this at this level of realization there was a deeper understanding that there was actually nothing there mm. that it was just a projection but the complexity of it which was oh, i was marveling in the dream that i could see formulae and if i gave it more attention i could follow each line and numbers mm. and things yes. that appeared and and seemed so logical and true mm -hmm. when the awareness was with them that i couldn't invalidate it with reason alone and that's what this is yes beautiful beautifully yeah. said yeah amazing that's what physics says also in copenhagen uh, yeah definition it's like field of pure potentiality yeah. or probability the moment you create it with your gaze you label it out of existence you give it reality by you by the act of attending to it mm. that's the life essence that gives it reality
And what's so exciting about living in this time is the new physics is converging with the spiritual yes. and we're arriving yes, at that and this is a very special moment mm. in the sense that we've got the Advaitins yeah. talking to the physicists about the same thing mm -hmm. that it's not there until there's an observer yes. and there is neuroscience that jumps on board <coughs> and that tells you that the narrative self or the default network is basically in a part of the brain that is responsible for hallucinating it is, we are literally hallucinating separate self. Mm. And it could be stopped by certain, they are working on the devices with like high frequency helmets and stuffs. <laughs> not, not only just peels, but different things that can temporarily switch it off and, and, mm. and show people that, see, it's just, it's just an illusion. How did you get that pest out to sit on your lap? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, does it? doesn't happen that? very often, yeah. She offered no resistance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're the same colour. <laughs> <laughs> yes. mm. 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 Yeah, the problem is we're dividing things up all the time. Don't like spirit and matter. We think there's spirit and matter. Spirit, spirit and matter are all the same thing. Just like blood and consumed blood. Oh, it's liquid flowing in through this. When it congeals, it sets. And then that's what matter is. So, spirit can never know matter because matter The other concept I find exciting is this idea that the brain is the receiver of consciousness, yeah. not, not the creator yeah. of consciousness. Yeah, that's a good mm. idea, I think. Mm -hmm. It's a very, it brings us back down to earth. That yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the body is inside the consciousness, not the consciousness inside the body. Yeah. Mm. It's good to contemplate that. It's bigger than both of us. Yeah. Do you think we, you need a human nervous system? Uh, Muktananda always used to say that the human birth was a privilege that enables consciousness to know, to self-recognize, mm -hmm. that it's not shared by other creatures. Yeah, as I'm saying, the capacity of reasoning is more developed than that. Right. But there must be something in the, I mean, we've read elsewhere, they're talking now about the brain as being a holographic representation of the universe, mm. that it's a three-dimensional map of the universe. Wow. And it aligns with what Tantra says about the chakras and the sushumna as being the rotation of the universe around the center, being that of the observer. And that, um, that if that's true, is this basically how Maya works? That's the, mm -hmm. that's the mechanism that mm. Maya relies on yeah. to yeah. convince us of a, a fiction, a reality that is truly a fiction. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it's still unreal. But yeah, mm. but the neurology appears to have yes. some central role in the maintenance of the illusion. Mm. And it's the interplay between the mind which sits within neurology, mm. but is not the neurology. But the neurology is this bigger thing that is encoding everything. And the then... First doing well, Hammeroff and Penrose. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They talk Amazing. about the um, nanotubules in the yeah, heart, yeah. Yeah. That's right. the gut and the brain, yeah. but mainly in the heart, it turns out. Okay. There are these resonant structures yeah. that seem to resonate as the receivers. Well, the heart's of a bit like the brain, isn't it? <coughs> yeah, yeah, but they reckon it might be these nanotubules are parts of w what is the physical structure that permits the human nervous system to cognize consciousness as a and it's like having a radio set that picks up radio waves mm -hmm. when you tune it yeah. it'll pick up a That's different a, station sort of mm -hmm. right yeah. i i get very lost in all this stuff yeah it is mm. it's pretty well, complicated it's, yeah. Ultimately, just like you said, you, you kind of realize the disappearance of your children when they are out of the sight, like right now they're not here, so they're only potential in their head, <coughs> only a thought. The same way everyone is just a thought, there's mm. only one singular experience of consciousness, and in that experience of consciousness it gives itself the body, it gives itself a, a, a brain or whatever, gives itself a, this room and these other people, mm. but really it, uh, the, the conscious experience is singular and subjective is pure subjectivity mm. so within that it creates the dream of science exactly yeah. so this whole scientific analysis is just part of that dream, part of the dream yeah. it's yeah. self-referential yes that it feels right because mm. it proves itself it, as it unfolds such a beauty yes. such a beauty the consciousness goes down and creates that marvelous civilization and scientists and, and research and, and, and all that engagement and attention just to find back for mm -hmm. itself. Part of the back story that allows us to accept yes. what yes, we don't need a backstory really to accept. Yeah. Yeah. We could just stop thinking right now and, and, and get the taste of it. We found that when we taught the corporate people to meditate and we gave them the neuroscience and it gave them permission to accept. Okay. Yeah so that they could then do the, 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 the yeah. things that would bring them into presence yeah. without mind, yeah. mm. but that you had to satisfy the mind's negation, mm -hmm. its questioning, mm. yes. and you give them some science as basically the anaesthetic yeah. yes. that Just removes mind. Yes, hungry ego, so it's <coughs> relaxes. <laughs> mm. Mm. So, science is the anaesthetic. Goes in and yes, does the right. thing in the lab. And yeah. in the old days, yeah. remember in the old days, who was it that the Herbert TM Benson. people, the mm. TM people, yeah. did Herbert it, Benson. you know, to prove that it's okay to be in the state, mm. <laughs> to be present, because the science says it's okay. <laughs> but I mean, it's a means to an end. Mm. If it's how. That's it how it dances, that's yeah. how it expresses, that's how it wants to. Well, it's better than football. No, football. Well, at this point in time for me, but, you know, I might go back to football. <laughs> when we became <laughs> rational, 
within this last 200 years since the Enlightenment, where it all became very mechanistic. Before that, I, I think people were more able to just simply accept. But when we started to question everything, I mean, the Greeks started it, but then it went into the Dark Ages, and then it had to be reborn, and the questioning mind had to reinvent science to satisfy itself. But even before the Greeks, every culture had its reasoning. It had its story, you know, the story. <coughs> you know, even before the Greeks, just because whatever manifests has to prove itself yeah. mm. <laughs> that, that it's okay to be what it is, or, you know, there's got to be an answer, you know, it's the... I wonder about cats, you know, they have their own story, don't they? They got their own system going, you yeah. know, we don't necessarily know what it is, but they're creating their own meaning, I think, absolutely, for themselves. Well, they've got sounds, they've got words, they've got sounds, and one sound might be a hundred sounds of hunger, and another sound mm -hmm. of fear, and another sound of calling a mate, so are the birds and all the animals, they haven't got the words. Mm -hmm. They have their own concepts and they're not relating to the concepts themselves. Yeah. yeah, their own, you know, System. they do things certain ways mm. because they've got their own story about how it is, you know. The birds have to do this and go there mm. and do that. Well, well, they're just starting to do, you know, really good research into dogs, you know, the mind of a dog. Yeah. yeah. And birds and, too, and apparently. Birds. I mean, they have so but many more skills yeah, than we have. Yeah, they're amazing, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a great time to be alive with the internet. Oh. They can navigate and and, yeah. in a cloudless yeah. sky, a bird, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. They feel the vibrations. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, they're finding quantum phenomena in the brains of birds. That's right. There are these nanotubules. Yeah. They're using um, quantum tunneling. There's three aspects of quantum mechanics entanglement, tunneling, and um, something else. Well, I wouldn't know. It's the way they sense of pattern shape of quality. Yeah, it's intelligence. I, I, I never heard that expression that you said before of activity, of knowing. Activity, you know, it's yeah. active, yeah. Shakti. Yes. Intelligence. Just forming and making everything. That's what it is. So that's all you said. You asked, and that again comes the answer again. Mm. I love what you just said about the things and civilizations and everyone having its own stories to justify its existence or to actually just assert its existence, mm. because that. That, that very phenomena also is within the structure of the ego, which needs the stories to get approval, to get confirmation, I'm real. That's the same mechanism. It, it mm. keeps based by the, the, the feed of attention to, mm. make it, to make it solid. Mm. So. And then if something goes wrong, because we were just watching this documentary about um, the Americas and the different you know, they found all these mounds because they had pyramids all over the place. Mm -hmm. Not just the ones we know, you said pyramids. Mm -hmm. All different places, it was just somewhere in Tennessee or somewhere like that, 
you know, they have these mounds and people just drive by and never notice yeah. okay. that that was there. And then the people who built them, it's the same principle as other pyramids in other places in the world. Mm. It all aligns with the stars and the right. sun and all that. Okay. And then they had their own cultures, you know, and if something goes wrong, oh, well, now we've got to kill all these babies, you know, <laughs> eat people's hearts out alive, and they have this whole culture, you know, that develops mm -hmm. out of the illusion that we have to do this. Mm -hmm. it, in, or, in order to, um, it becomes like a superstition. Yes, but you're saying it's thinking. common across some cultures. Many cultures. That have not a lot had of cultures, no connection. Mm. Well, there is worship, some worship, mm. yeah. it's 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 just observation, you mm. know, of the s patterns of the stars okay. and the sun, and they're all lined up just like Stonehenge, and they had circles. They found the holes where they had instead of stone, they had trees because they didn't have stone there in Tennessee or wherever it was. But I mean, it's what you say. It's the tendency of the mind that seeks to find meaning. Yes. The big thing is the meaning. Everyone wants to know what everything means. Yes. That's our obsession. That's the obsession, isn't it? It is, yes. Well, for me, the most important thing is to find out what, what, what I am and mm. what the essence is here. Morris can take care of herself. Mm. Mm -hmm. It does. You might get more insights into it, isn't it? But the human mind resists this idea that things might just be for no reason. And yes, and there's such an addiction <coughs> to give meaning and to understand things. Why things are this way? Give me any food for the mind and I'll be happy. Yeah. Tell me any lie, but I just want to know why. Mm -hmm. Every single thing. And then when I get something, let's say I call it a glass, now I know what it is, now I'm safe. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what it is. There's an absolute mystery. And something else will come up in the store and I'll go, oh, yeah. Yeah. stop it. Addiction <coughs> to, oh, me, to giving to me, no. to understand. Mm. I think that's the big I curse, really. Yes. That's the obstacle. Mm. If we could drop the need to know for the meaning of things, and everything would be simple. Exactly. And actually, how much more <laughs> beautiful it is to assume that this is not a glass. It is absolutely unknowable mystery. Mm. There is whole universe contributed mm. for this to become as it is. Mm. It used to be a sand on the beach on which the, because that's what glass is made of, the, 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 the sun and starlight going on it for it. Like, gosh, it's... It's, it is a mystery. Mm. Assuming that I know what anything is, is such an arrogance. Mm. That's the hubris of the human. Yeah. I know people that get angry when you say, they say, what, what do you think it means? And you say, it may not mean anything. Yeah. Okay. They hate it. They yeah. hate that. Yeah. There's some visceral, like, it's so deep. Mm -hmm. Is it conditioned, the need to know the meaning? Is that conditioning or is That's that... That's a fear. That's a, a, or is that deeper than conditioning? Yeah, I think this is, this is when the first attempt of separating or labeling everything, when the child is labeling objects and it starts labeling <coughs> itself. Right. And this is how the fear is being pacified. Because if I'm separate, the universe is a threat. If I know what things are, I'm safer. When I know what I am, I'm safer. And out of that primordial fear, it comes with, the, I, well, I think that's, that, that's kind of how it feels, like the reason for, for understanding things. 
And then some of the old teachings like Enagram and other place other stuff say that basically going running up to the head for meaning and explanation is just basically vacating pure presence mm -hmm. which is uncertain, which is eternally always completely unknowable and uncertain. Wanting a certainty is wanting a story and meaning. What what what's made the mind cool down from the ages man knows know himself. Mm -hmm. Want to know everything else before we know ourselves. So that but we think we know ourselves. I'm the body, I'm the mind. That's yeah. all I am. But that's not really. <laughs> and then I always come back after making this voyage mm. that we're making here. Well, if the baby's mother didn't get afraid when the baby was about to fall down the stairs. Mm. and grab it, then the baby wouldn't be there. Yeah. So then absolutely. the baby has to learn to yeah. be afraid or careful mm -hmm. of the stairs. So there is a kind of a uh, a pragmatic oh, yeah. aspect this of yeah. survival. Totally. Otherwise we wouldn't have the fun of sitting here and going, oh yeah, there's no meaning in it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we managed to survive by recognizing differences Mm. by recognizing separation and by developing enough capacity to keep ourselves separate from the train that's coming toward us or the right. car and jump out of the way, then we can sit here nicely and say, yeah. it doesn't mean anything. But, yeah, the but. instincts like animals, they don't have the story. Like when the kitten falls off the stairs, the mother catches, catches it too. Yeah. But it doesn't have a story about it. Uh, we don't know. Maybe it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as neuroscience is involved, they don't have the uh, yeah, default. They, haven't they just don't have the... Uh, that capacity. Yeah. But wouldn't Nisargadatta say something like, so what? Why is, why is it so important that the thing should survive? That you should survive. That, that, that's uh, only for me. No, no. From <laughs> from the viewpoint of the individual, it makes perfect sense. But also for the play of the that's awareness energy is playing around. Yeah. But the play is still going to go on without you. Absolutely. Oh, that's okay. Totally. Absolutely. But if we weren't there, we wouldn't. You know, we're a thing. Mm. Like you say, we're a thing that's no thing. Yeah. That's being played with. Yeah. So and part of the illusion is that part of the programming of the illusion is that each individual soul, each jiva, mm. has to be concerned for its own survival. That's otherwise, otherwise it would unravel too fast. Mm. There'd be no. This is kind of what you're saying. There'd be no lila. Every, everyone just immediately said, "Well, it doesn't matter if I live or die." Therefore, ego would then have no power, mm. and the whole thing would just disintegrate straight away. So you've got to build in... I was at a dairy once that was um, robotic and the cows would be milked mm. by uh, approaching a robot and it would sense them and attach and they would get fed their ration as they were being milked and the milk would be analysed. And mm. But the whole thing was driven. There was no human involved. All they did was they filled the food every day and emptied the milk. But the whole program was driven by the cow's need to be milked. Yes. Yeah. That was the that was the driving driving force was the full mm. udder. Yeah. And some cows would come in twice or three times, more than twice a day to be milked mm. because they were heavy producers mm. and the yields went up because 
it was not ah. limited by the yes. farmer's availability. <coughs> but the driving force yeah. was this, and I feel like the driving force of this, mm. this lila is the ego's lila, lila the play. The divine The sort of encoded um, impetus mm. for the lila to continue is the ego's perceived need that it must survive. Yeah, so it's part of it. And if it's you took that out of the leela, mm. it would but be when like... It drops, the... When it drops, <coughs> there is still instinct running away. There is still body craving for hunger and finding yeah. food and feeding itself and washing itself. Mm. Even if there is no commentary saying that I have to be invested. Mm. Same as with animals, they still have instinct running. It's just that, that ego that says that without me, uh, there will be no concern for the survival. It's just a part of story. It's not true. Ego is totally redundant. It doesn't serve any function. Whether it is there or it isn't there, the body is going to look after itself. So you say that instinctively, mm. you don't have to form the concept that the truck's going to run me over if I cross now. Yeah. Instinct will do that for you in any case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yes. if that's true, what function is there for ego? No, no. function. But Zero. you have to learn that. You, you, you have to learn it, otherwise you're dead here. before you even have a chance to try it again. But learning is conditioning. It also doesn't require the ego. It seems like the function for the ego is that you have to fall asleep before you wake up. <laughs> because how would you wake up? How, it's almost as if, how would you recognize the preciousness of consciousness if you didn't lose it first, if it didn't get obscured first? So it, it kind of forms false obscuration basically to just break through and see, oh my God, it was illusion. It has never been real. And well, that's a good story. Yeah. Do you, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah. 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 Like there are people yeah. apparently, because there is this guy, Jeffrey Martin, who, do, who does the research yes. over thousands of different, he calls them finders, people who actually realize that ego is a fiction and it's redundant. Some of them claim they have never been exposed to the ego, they just, by some, I don't know, maybe autistic brain or something, they didn't form the sense of separation. We had one, remember Tom oh, with the big oh, yes. The man who was coming to the meeting. He, he actually yeah, yeah. had a trouble at school because he was so unselfish and non-self-concerned that he was a weirdo. But in, in, a, very, in, in a very rare occasions it happens and then they just take it for granted. Oh, what a big deal. It's nothing precious about it. Right, so it's sort of like an autism kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. That's interesting. I taught a psychologist once, (coughs) and I asked him just as a um, a, um, validation or or assurance that there was nothing in the techniques that were like... He wanted to refer patients to come to learn Mm -hmm. meditation and uh, to manage their stress and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, would there be any patient that you wouldn't refer? And he said, well, there could be some cases of psychosis yes. where the person is in a high state of dissociation, mm-hmm. where it might trigger dis- further dissociation. Mm-hmm. But he said, even then, he said, I don't think that would be a problem because they're going to be dissociated anyway. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to be very successful meditators. Exactly. There's nothing there to defend. (laughs) So like that guy you said. Mm. 
like explanation is spirodynamics is like how growing up the, um, certain brains are at, at, at the scene of manifestation and when you get to the second tier and there's only a few people around it's like you know present for someone else is a present for you it's not a big deal mm -hmm. it's um there's less when things trigger and then less protective and i think you know perhaps it doesn't absolutely matter at all but as things move along people tend to be moving along this in that direction and yeah it just becomes more of a global thing so whatever acts out in the first tier acts out in a global way in the second tier rather than um yes. like in the first tier they might when psychological stuff triggers in some people get all mafia like and it's all about strength and respect and then the next lot's all about government and you know and so on it moves along and you get to the second tier they show up again but it's just all relaxed about protecting one's patch it just becomes there's a whole patch and it just makes sense to work with that patch there's just more clarity evolving consciousness yeah, yeah just more clarity in the head it doesn't necessarily mean a no self would come along but it's just not such a big deal so you could say approach is no self the no self is another thing again no self is just becomes meaningless very quickly <laughs> Yeah, it is a mind training versus realizing there is no identification with the mind necessary. Yeah, and so it is. It is a. It is a more relaxed form of being in the world. It's less mm. protective. It's easier. Well, um, yeah, even positive thinking uh, has some uh, positive results. Kind of, but it's but not. It's not kind of like that. It's just less protectiveness going on, so it's less forceful. Yeah, positive and, thinking um, does doesn't mean it doesn't. You don't suffer um, traumas that trigger in more often. But when they trigger, and it's not such a big deal, there's no protection, it's mm. not so heavy. And then waking up is things drop more quickly. So you can have any kind of balance. Things could come in more or less often, that's like cleaning up, psychology. Things could be powerfully frustrating or not, and that's growing up, and that's in spiral dynamics, the consciousness shifts, awareness of the manifestation. And then grow, um, waking up is like, oh, okay, it's nothing. <laughs> and like, you know, becoming again, crap, oh, <laughs> no, it's self-transcendence, yeah. because what you're talking about is on the pyramid of, of growth is self-actualization, where you actually become the best self you could possibly be. I think I see it more as like a um, flat three-pointer thing. So it's yeah, yeah, on the, on the top of pyramid in self-actualization, you can draw whatever map you want. But self-transcendence is completely different order of Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and I see it as a different sort of model. Like, um, mm. Kim Wilber talks about it in Buddha the gas pump, gas pump. It's like growing up, waking up, and so I see all three things can come in in different forces. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just a sort of helpful model. It doesn't mean a lot, you know, obviously, waken moment, it means nothing. <laughs> it's not even there, but, um, yeah. You want to ask a question there? Oh. No, then, why are you naming everything into Pyramids, neuroscience, <laughs> neuroscience, and everything, and everything is like when everything is like uh, when there's no meaning to yeah, what we yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, see, uh, you, you may not need it, yeah. mm. but there may be someone in the room whose mind is so active and so hungry that they would not move towards the silence unless that mind, that restless mind, is fed. Yeah. So this, this is basically, you know, when Bob was t uh, saying spiel, he threw out 100 pointers. 
It's enough if you hear one sentence of what he said and deeply contemplate on it. You don't need to hear the rest. You can hear five minutes and that's it. But he throws hundred. He every five minutes is for different structure for different need. Like you may hear that you know this the phenomenon of intelligence creating the sperm and ovum and, and making your mom pregnant and getting what you have been doing about that nothing it's just life doing itself so this could be enough why would you need to know anything else you have never done a thing you didn't even have a brain but he keeps going and he shows you that you know the body because there are five elements water air fire and the body is changing why would he need to say it because you could hear that one but five other people people might miss it and they mm -hmm. may hear the other one Mm. And neuroscience, and, and as, as we uh, established before, the whole science is just part of Maya, totally part of Maya. And if we could just stop thinking and rest in that no-top space, that is exactly the place where there's nothing you need to know. Everything is clear and obvious. You are. Existence is foremost shining, and there's no questions because there's no mind. It's only the mind that asks questions and wants to know. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you.